Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Live from my Northern California studio, this is the Shared Interest Podcast. That's right. It is the Shared Interest Podcast. And today, it is the fourth and final edition of the 2016 NFL Preview Series. It's a solo flight with me. I'm the host. I'm Tommy. It's my podcast. And I have saved the best for last. Today's show is entirely dedicated to gambling and fantasy football. Fantasy and gambling. Gambling and fantasy. It's my podcast and I'll say what I wanna. Say what I wanna. What I wanna say is that degenerate gambling is A-OK. Fake football is the greatest thing ever. I can't think of two things that I would rather talk about. So plug in your earbuds, Skippy. It's about to get good. It's the final entry in the 2016 NFL Preview Series. It's gambling and fantasy. Let's start with divisional futures. Betting the future champion of each of the eight divisions is one of the most reliable ways to turn a profit on the NFL each year. And that's because the NFL has so much turnover as far as good teams falling off the cliff, bad teams getting better. The league changes so drastically from season to season, and the gambling public is usually very slow to catch up with that. There's no better example than the 2016 AFC South. In the South division of the AFC this year, the Colts are going off as the favorite, which has to be the craziest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. The Colts are not a good team. They have a terrible coach. They're awful decision makers. There's no reason that this team should be instilled as a favorite. So if you're looking to instantly find where can I insert myself into divisional futures, run quickly to the AFC South. And if you want to play for the long ball, chicks dig the long ball. Go with the Titans at, depending on your book, right around plus 850. There's a lot to like about what's going on in Nashville. They're a team that focuses on the right type of things as far as they're going to run the ball. And plus 850 is an absolute gift. From there, the Jags, who are a very polarizing team, and they have a very polarizing quarterback. And when I pivot to talking about fantasy football, I have a lot more to say about the Jags and Bortles. But at plus 325-ish, again, depending upon your book, Plus 325 looks fantastic. The Texans, I do believe, have the inside track to win that division. They're at plus 220. So regardless of whether you take the Texans, the Jags, or the Titans, you're immediately in a profit position to at least double your money. If you bet on the Colts, I wish you best of luck. You're essentially lighting your money on fire. The next division that's wide open is the NFC East. There's just so many crazy storylines there between the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, the Redskins, the Giants, the Eagles. At plus 450, the Eagles represent an amazing opportunity. I don't think any of these four teams separate themselves, so why not take the longest shot on the board? I don't think that Kirk Cousins is quite the quarterback that people have made him out to be. The Cowboys are a dysfunctional mess. In the book that I'm looking at, the Giants actually go off as the favorite at plus 200. I think there's a lot to like about the Giants team, and it would not surprise me if they won the division. But again, this is a coin flip. So if you're flipping coin, take the Eagles at plus 450. 
I think there's a, a rising tide just from having Chip Kelly out of their locker room. Everyone's going to play just a little bit better. So I will gladly take the Eagles with the plus 450. Next up, the NFC South. The Carolina Panthers go off as a huge favorite at minus 225. The Panthers coming off a Super Bowl loss, very difficult position for a team to be in. So they lose Josh Norman. They're now going to start two rookie cornerbacks. This is not a formula for success. This is a huge problem. There's a lot of cam haters out there. There's people who just want to say shitty things about Newton. I'm not one of them. I love watching Cam play. I wish he would have won the Super Bowl. I thought it would have been a great story. But that was then. This is now. The Panthers are dead money walking. If you listen to one of the earlier shows where my buddy Greg talked about how he expected the Panthers to falter, that was a real eye-opener for me. And I started looking much closer and I'm convinced that he's correct. I love the Falcons at plus 550. But if you want to swing for the fences and take the Buccaneers at plus 700, I think that there's a lot of value to be had there. I'm going to ignore the Saints until they fix that defense. There's no reason to take them seriously. The Panthers, the Saints, out. Buccaneers, Falcons, in. If you're a nickel player, dime player, whatever it is, go ahead and cover both the Falcons and the Buccaneers here at plus 550, plus 700, you have a very good chance to turn a healthy profit, even though one of your bets is destined to lose. Now, as far as divisions to avoid, there's absolutely no reason to challenge the Patriots at minus 200, even though Brady has the suspension, even though their offensive line looks very shaky, even though their running back situation is you don't want to bet against the Patriots. Just don't do it. In divisional futures play, there's no reason to fade the Patriots. Just don't do it. Similarly, in the NFC West, the Seahawks and the Cardinals, that's a coin flip between the two teams. So if you want to try and chip off a little bit, the Cardinals in the book that I have are plus 160. It's hard for me to say that there's any value to be had there. The Seahawks as pure favorites as they probably should be. Now, when you're playing, as I was just saying, in the NFC East, and it's between a wide open field and you can carry the Eagles at plus 450, or let's say you are that Kirk Cousins believer and you take the skins at plus 300, all well and good. But when you get into the NFC West, and now you're talking about a coin flip between two teams and you're only getting plus 160, I'm going to pull back. So I don't think there's anything to be had in the NFC West. AFC North to me is essentially identical to the NFC West and that the Steelers and the Bengals are the two teams that are clearly above the Ravens and the Browns. And there's just, there's not enough incentive to bet either of them. Lastly, the AFC West. And wow, what a layout there. So you have the defending Super Bowl champions and they'll go off as the favorites. A lot of people like the Chiefs, but the sneaky Raiders at plus 300, that's probably my favorite division future of all. I like the Raiders to win that division easily. I still think the Broncos can be a playoff team. I think the Chiefs could be a playoff team. It wouldn't surprise me if three playoff teams came from that division. But at plus 300, it's impossible not to take the Raiders to triple your money. So to quickly recap, I am not going anywhere near the AFC East and the Patriots. I don't think there's enough value to get invested in the AFC North with the Steelers Bengals. Similarly, not enough value to get involved in the NFC West between the Seahawks and the Cards. However, big time opportunity in the NFC South with the Bucks and Falcons. Big time opportunity in the AFC South with the Jags and Titans or even the Texans. 
My favorite divisional future of all is the Raiders at plus 300, and I find no reason not to take the long shot in a wide-open NFC East with the Eagles. So if future betting on the divisional champion is the most consistently reliable way to profit from the NFL, the most consistently reliable way to lose money on the NFL is to get invested heavily in prop bets. That's where you speculate on who the MVP, who the rookie of the year, etc. But since we're an entertainment podcast, we're not going to shy away from shitty bets. In fact, we're going to tackle them head on. It's important to note, one of my guests in the earlier episodes of the preview series made a great point when he said it's not really the most valuable player award. It's the which quarterback do the writers like the best award, which is why it's always safe money to take Aaron Rodgers. Therefore, probably not very surprising. Aaron Rodgers goes off as the favorite at plus 620. Very enticing number at plus 620. But once again, prop bets are generally sucker plays, so I'd have to strongly advise you against making any of these wagers. However, we can continue this conversation and hit on a couple of other people that, and hit on a couple of other players that have super high expectations. If you are someone who subscribes to the Angry Tom Brady Comes Back and Rages on the League, uh, if you've listened to any of the previous podcasts, you know that I think that's insane. But Tom Brady is currently plus 1475 once again if you're not a degenerate gambler and you don't know what that means it means if you go and wager 100 dollars and say i believe tom brady with four weeks down to suspension will come back and ravage the league and become the mvp that 100 dollars will end up paying you 1475 dollars if you are correct you won't be though so don't do that again i feel like as a public service announcement you should disregard all of the Rage Brady things, and you should definitely not make MVP prop bets. Another guy who gets a lot of attention here in the preseason, one Mr. David Johnson. Here again is somebody who has expectations that there's no real foreseeable path that he could ever live up to. The idea that David Johnson is Marshall Falk 2.0 is patently insane. Is he the best running back in the league currently? Eh, maybe. Is he a wonderful fantasy asset? Definitely. Is he plus 7,500 to win the MVP? Yes, he is. So if you believe the hype and you believe that David Johnson is going to rack up insane yardage, touchdown, highlight after highlight, $100 to get you $7,500 back as MVP. One more on the plus side, as I can't help but notice all the people who believe that Ezekiel Elliott is some second coming of something i don't even know the second coming of herschel walker whatever the ohio state product will be plus 13 5 that's right you heard that right if you wager 100 dollars that ezekiel elliott will be the mvp of the nfl for this coming season and he actually lives up to all the hype and becomes the most valuable player you cash a cold thirteen thousand five hundred dollars 13.5 on Ezekiel Elliott. Absolutely insane wager to make. All the hype about Ezekiel Elliott is off the rails to begin with. So those are the notables on the MVP. One of my favorite props is always going to be the coach of the year. And I immediately go to Andy Reid. I can't help it. So let's see what's going on with Big A. To win the coach of the year, plus 1,200. Interesting. He's in the top five as far as the favorites are concerned. 
who's your guess for the favorite coach of the year? If you had to pick one NFL coach of the year, everyone's mind probably going to Bill Belichick, but you're wrong. Wrong. Sorry. It's Bruce Arians. So Bruce Arians plus 750 to win coach of the year. A couple of other quick notables. Mike McCarthy. A lot of people have high expectations for the Packers. Plus 1100. Pete Carroll. If the Seahawks put together another magical season, plus 1200. Gary Kubiak, kind of in an interesting position as the defending Super Bowl champion coach. If he can guide that quarterbackless team into the playoffs, have a fine season, he'll go off at plus 2,500. And Bill O'Brien always stands out to me with the Houston Texans as a potential dark horse candidate, plus 4,000. Jack Del Rio, sorry, Jack, skipped over you. You were plus 2,500 right next to Gary Kubiak. As far as guys who I think are going to get fired, Rex Ryan, plus 6,500. It's the last season in Buffalo for Rex. Chuck Pagano is going to get fired long before Rex does. Chuck's plus 3,300. So the final prop that I wanted to talk about is the rookie of the year. Technically, there's a defensive rookie of the year and an offensive rookie of the year. I'm just going to throw the defensive one out the window and focus exclusively on the offense because that's where all the shiny toys are. And this year, the shiniest toy apparently is Ezekiel Elliott. Now, I already mentioned in his MVP prop segment that I think the expectations for Zeke are just completely insane. The Cowboys are a crazy dysfunctional organization. I have very low expectations for everything associated with the Cowboys, but you should know that Ezekiel Elliott is going off as a huge favorite, a monster favorite as the rookie of the year. He goes off at approximately minus 150. The next closest player, Sterling Sharp, the wide receiver who was drafted by the Giants, around plus 900. That is a landslide favorite. I'm fading that every which way. I wish I could find a place that would take a bet for field versus Ezekiel Elliott because I would love to have a ticket to wave in everyone's faces when Zeke crashes and burns. I want to be the engineer on the I told you so train. That's a little egotistical. Let me back off of that and talk about some of the other folks here. Dak Prescott his teammate, plus 1,100. MVP voters are geared towards the quarterback position. Stands to reason that most rookie of the year voters would lean the same way. So Prescott has an inherent advantage over everybody else, with the exception of Jeff Goff, uh, if you think that he's going to play well, or Wentz, if you think that he's going to play well. Did I call him Jeff Goff? Sorry. Anyway, his real name is Jared Goff. My apologies to the entire Goff family for not knowing your kid's name. I do know what Dak's name is, though, and I do know that he's plus 1,100. Once again, all prop bets are sucker plays, but if you want to be the least sucker on the sucker play, take the quarterback. Because if Dak replicates even a portion of what he's done in the preseason, voters are going to be running to him. That's a story that people run to. A couple of dark horses. He's never going to win the award, but the best player to enter the league this year was Derrick Henry. He goes off at plus 1,400. I've seen him as high as plus 2,000 in some books. Full disclosure, absolute transparency. I am carrying a Derrick Henry Rookie of the Year wager. Um, As much as I knew it was a dumb thing to do, I have $100 to throw down to try and make two grand that Derrick Henry is going to pop. Another splash play guy, Will Fuller the rookie from Notre Dame. He'll have Brock Osweiler throwing to him. He'll have a plus 2,000 number. And then if you want to go way down the chart, I've heard a lot of good things about Tyler Boyd in the Cincinnati Bengals camp. 
He goes off at plus 2,500, playing opposite of AJ Green, at least on paper. Again, all of these things are quite spotty. Oh, by the way, in case you were wondering, Laquan Treadwell, he'll go off at plus 2,500, even though his quarterback just had apparently a near amputation injury to his leg. Good luck, Minnesota. I'm going to run away from your team now because I think that you're pretty much a house in flames, but stranger things have happened. All right, so what's the perfect way to end the wagering segment? Well, obviously, it's talking about the Super Bowl 51 champion lines. The game will be played over at NRG Stadium. Delete your account, Houston. What a fucking stupid name for a stadium. You use your taxpayer money to build that thing, and then you license off the name to NRG? Oh, fucking punch yourselves in the face. Ooh, sorry. It's a little stream of consciousness there. Back to the point at hand. Who is the favorite for Super Bowl 51? Yeah, it's the Patriots. The top five teams are essentially interchangeable. It's the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Panthers, the Steelers. Now, on the previous three episodes of this NFL preview series, the most common pick for the Super Bowl was the Arizona Cardinals. They're actually sixth in line at the book I'm looking at right now at plus 1150. So that's a decent return. Full disclosure and absolute transparency I can't remember the last time I bought a Super Bowl future before the season. I bet on the conference champions most year. I bet on the division champions every year. But the Super Bowl is such a crapshoot. It just doesn't make much sense to me to start throwing money at this stuff. It is fun. So here's a couple of outliers. If you think that the Bengals are finally going to put it all together and have that season where the refs do not blatantly cheat them out of playoff wins plus 2,000. The Denver Broncos. If you think Denver has a back-to-back run in them, even though they essentially pulled their quarterback off the street, plus 2,600. For those of you who are willing to ignore all the flaws of the Colts and once again throw your full support behind Chuck Pagano, plus 2,600. The Oakland Raiders. So this is a team that I wagered to get to the AFC Championship game. I didn't have the nuts to wager on them to win the Super Bowl, but if you believe in the greatness of the Raiders and the commitment to excellence, plus 3,800. One of my favorite long shots, the Atlanta Falcons. Really like the way that that team is structured, plus 6,000. And at the bottom of the barrel, yes, your Cleveland Browns. If you think that rg3 is going to join the cleveland parade of champions there's 21,500 reasons to get behind it obviously it's not going to happen but if you're in the business of flushing your money away the cleveland browns would love to be your toilet and with that we close out the gambling portion of today's podcast which means we now get to pivot to the fantasy football discussion I do have a semi-charmed life. I suppose I should start with a quick foundation. I'm not in the fantasy industry. I'm not a fantasy professional. I'm just an enthusiast. I've been playing in various leagues since probably mid-late 90s. My brother and I have a strong passion for playing fake sports. And over time, what happened is I gravitated to the Yahoo site. I just felt that the staff of writers that they had were so far ahead of everybody else in the industry. 
Uh, I guess I should pause right there. I have the utmost respect for anyone that's a content creator. It's a grueling world out there, whether you're in film, television, music, fantasy sports. When you lay it on the line and you make your living by creating content and having other people come and read, listen, watch, it takes a lot of fortitude to do that. And I have the utmost respect for everybody in the business from the top level, the ESPN guys to the most fringe website that I've never even heard of. So big ups to everybody out there who's making a living or the people who are grinding. I have nothing but but respect for you. However, for me personally, I did gravitate to the Yahoo site because the staff of writers that they have, they just, for me, were so far ahead of where everybody else was. I can't actually speak to the sequence of events. Um, It happened really organically where I became someone who commented a lot on various blogs and stuff, and that built a rapport with some of the writers because, again, to their credit, the staff at Yahoo, they they were really engaged with the readers. There was a lot of back and forth. It was just a lot of fun to be a part of that whole Roto Arcade community. And from that, in 2013... Andy Barron's extended to me an invitation to play in a baseball league, actually not a football league, but he extended an invitation to join a baseball league. I guess from that, I got some credibility and not long after I was able to play in a couple of leagues with Scott Pianowski and Scott and I are kindred spirits. It turns out very happy to consider Scott a friend. He's somebody who I have so much admiration and so much respect for. I consider him to be, if not the best, one of the best fantasy players in the world. He's so good at what he does, and it's it's great to be able to be in a league and compete with him. So riding his coattails has afforded me access to leagues against industry people. It's probably not fair in the sense that I never had to grind out a blog I've never had to rank a player. I've never had to listen to feedback from jackass trolling commenters telling me what a piece of shit I am. I just get the good stuff. I just get to play in the league with the high-level industry guys. So I have nothing but respect and admiration, as I said, for everyone in the industry. But I'm incredibly biased towards the people who I consider to be my friends, even though I've never met them. They're just really wonderful people. While I'm dropping names everywhere... Let me go ahead and say that Dalton Del Don is an absolutely amazing dude. And uh, his podcast that he does with Chris Liss, who's another amazing dude, they call it the East Coast Offense. If you're not subscribed to the East Coast Offense, you should be. It's so much more than fantasy. It's just a great social commentary. It's an amazing listen. Liz Loza has a podcast that she does with John Evans. And even before Liz wrote for Yahoo!, Once again, by riding coattails, I was involved in a pro-am type of thing. And let me tell you, Liz was among the kindest and most approachable people that I've ever been in a league with at that level. Without going into specifics, let's just say there are some people in the fantasy sports industry that are incredibly proud of their fake sports accomplishments, I guess. I've spent a lot of time in the music industry, so runaway egos aren't exactly unusual to me. I'm But the Yahoo crew, they're just remarkable, remarkable people. And again, I'm just super fortunate. So when I give you my fantasy takes, it's as an outsider, as in I'm not in the industry, but it's not as a novice. I've competed against the best people in the industry, and I'm very fortunate to have done so. And with that, I'll close out the name dropping portion and transition into some thoughts about fantasy football as we head into the 2016 season. I want to start with Bortles theory. What is Bortles theory? 
Well, it's a theory that I've constructed that basically says when a player absolutely pops from out of nowhere, rather than acknowledge the greatness of what's occurring, human instinct sometimes kicks in. Hey, let's face it. People want to be right. I want to be right when it comes to fantasy sports. Everyone who's ever ranked a player wants to be right. And when you're just dead wrong, it can be hard to accept that. So instead of saying, wow, man, Blake Bortles is something else. I really missed the boat on that. What happens instead is you hear a lot of, he's just a garbage time all-star, which has to be the most insulting thing I think I've ever heard. You know, if all you needed was garbage time to be great in the NFL, why the fuck isn't Ryan Tannehill getting fitted for a gold jacket? Nobody faces more out-of-control situations than the Dolphins. I don't see 35 touchdowns from Ryan Tannehill. In fact, if you use the great pro football reference play index tool, what you're going to find is Blake Bortles wasn't really an outlier as far as how many passes he threw while behind by two touchdowns or whatever metrics you want to use. The best metric of all, the one that really crystallizes the absurdity of the argument that Bortles was a product of volume, is the 2015 Denver Broncos had, by all accounts, a generational defense. They had a defense that was just unbelievable. It took them all the way to Levi Stadium in Super Bowl 50. The 2015 Denver Broncos had 606 passing attempts. That's right. The generational defense put the ball in the air 606 times. On the other hand, the garbage time all-star, Blake Bortles, volume-based, the only reason he was able to post these numbers was because he threw the ball nonstop. Yeah, 607 pass attempts. Literally, the difference between the Broncos and the Jags was one pass attempt. One single pass attempt. Let that sink in, because the narrative has run so far out of control and off the cliff that you would think that Bortles threw the ball 750 times, that the Jags started every game down 28 to nothing, and everything that Bortles did was merely the product of him having to throw on every down. It's just not true. Hence, Bortles' theory. When faced with an option between admitting that you missed a prediction or trying to diminish the accomplishment to make it seem like it was a random luck event, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to go with random luck event. And that's exactly what happened. People were tripping over themselves trying to explain away how everything that Bortles had done was some product of luck or game flow when it really wasn't. I've said this before on some of the previous shows. I made the comparison that Bortles is very much like a modern day Brett Favre in the sense that he's a crazy gunslinger. He's a guy with a big arm who can move a little bit, extend plays. He takes, at times, reckless chances, but he's not afraid to throw the ball down the field, and he's got the arm to do it, and he's got the athletes on the outside. I love the Allens, Robinson and Hearns. There was nothing fluky about Bortles racking up those numbers. He's an incredible young quarterback in an incredible system with amazing talent on the outside. And he's going to go ahead and put up those numbers. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. Fade Bortles this year. Fade Allen Robinson this year. And watch him jam it up your ass again. I can't wait to hear what excuse might come out of Bortles' theory for 2016. But I know that everything I heard about Bortles 2015 was a big fat pant load. 
for the very few pros out there who had the stones to say, hey, I just missed it. Bortles was great. Even with the turnovers and some of the sloppy play, Bortles was absolutely amazing. And again, you don't just heave up 35 touchdowns in garbage time. There's limitless numbers of examples that you could pull out of guys who've had sometimes literally twice as many opportunities as Bortles did, and yet they did jack squat with it. I'm here to advance Bortles theory and ask the world to be just a little bit better. When somebody pops from out of nowhere and you missed it, just tip your cap and move on. Stop trying to diminish somebody's accomplishments just because you weren't able to predict it. Predicting the future is a difficult gig, you know? Missing a fantasy football projection is not the end of the world, but at least have the class and the dignity to call it what it is. Bortles is an absolutely amazing quarterback. The sky's the limit. If this guy cleans up his game, there's no telling what he's going to be able to do. In a nutshell, Bortles' theory is trying to diminish someone else's accomplishment rather than admitting it was wonderful simply because you were unable to predict that it was coming. There are a couple of troubling echoes that come around Bortles' theory. Volume equals greatness, which is another full fucking pant load. Oh my God. If you're out there operating on the idea that there are friendly defenses that are going to equate to amazing numbers, I've got something to tell you. It's just not true. Let's go ahead and take a look at the top scoring teams of last year. So in the NFL, as far as which teams produce the most points, number one, the Carolina Panthers, number two, the Arizona Cardinals, followed by the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seattle Seahawks, the Giants, and the Bengals. Do you notice anything there? Yeah, none of them are shit defense teams, with the possible exception of the Giants. The Panthers, the Cards, the Patriots, the Steelers, the Seahawks, the Bengals. Uh, sorry to blow a hole in the side of your volume boat, but it doesn't translate. On its face, it kind of sounds good as a, oh, you know what? This team's going to get behind, so therefore they're going to have to throw a lot, and that's going to result in tons of fantasy greatness. It doesn't happen that way, probably because if you break it down a little bit further, getting behind doesn't make your quarterback any better if he stinks. Getting behind doesn't mean your wide receivers can suddenly get separation when they couldn't before. And in fact, it gets even harder because the pass rush pins their ears back, the defense drops eight, and now you have to throw into incredibly difficult windows. Chances are you're doing it with a quarterback like RG3. It really is a foolish notion when you think about it, but it seems to have taken off this year. And again, I go back to Bortles' theory, which is everyone was so desperate to spin Blake's performance to volume-based thing that now we just hear these reverbs of it. You want to tie yourself to an offense that's going to have volume. The Seattle Seahawks don't throw the ball a ton, but you mean to tell me that Russ Wilson isn't one of the top three quarterbacks that you would take? It's not volume-based. It's talent-based. Surround yourself with talent, and you'll be much better off. All right, enough of theory. Let's get into a couple of specific players this year. I won't be long-winded about this. There's really only two guys that I want to hit on. The first one is going to be entirely controversial. I'm fine with that. Quick caveat, I play in auction leagues almost exclusively. It's the highest and best form of drafting. It makes no sense to me to go into a fantasy season with a snake draft and be guaranteed that you're not going to get certain players. You have to play in an auction league if you want to do this. Allow me to pre-chat you for just a moment. If you're going to play this game competitively, 
against great managers, you have to be in an auction. You can't hamstring yourself to, oh, I have the ninth pick, so therefore I have zero chance at the first eight players. That's horseshit, and you should stop doing it. That diatribe aside, if you're going to play in a snake draft anyway for its simplicity, for its quickness, I get it. I get it. This take won't really apply to a snake draft. It's pretty much exclusive to the auction draft. But I am running as far and as fast from Antonio Brown as I possibly can. And here's the couple of reasons why. Number one is history. I am definitely a trend better. I will always bet on the trend instead of against it. In the history of the National Football League, there has been one, uno, one guy who has ever put together four consecutive 100-catch, 10-touchdown seasons. His name was Marvin Harrison. He was tied to, some would say, the greatest quarterback of all time. Think about this. Think about all the amazing receivers that have come through the league. Only one of them has ever hit the 110 mark four times in a row. This would be the fourth time for Antonio Brown. I do not think it's going to happen. And I realize that that's not deep statistical analysis. That's just historical trends. I'm very comfortable weighting historical trends as far as making player decisions to each their own, though. A couple of other quick points on this. Antonio Brown is the consensus number one pick. I mean, everyone across the board has this guy going number one. The NFL can be a real motherfucker, especially when there's consensus. Every time you think you've got it figured out, the NFL tends to give you a swift kick in the nuts. I'm not anxious to feel that again. I've had my testicles jammed up into my esophagus by the NFL way too many times. Thousands of dollars have exited my pocket by thinking that I've got it figured out. I don't. And I find that to be another compelling reason to get away from Antonio Brown. If he turns out to be the greatest of all time and he does post his fourth 110 season and he does defy what I consider to be the odds to do it, that's awesome. Good for him. But before he gets there, he's going to have to overcome some really bad team context. The Pittsburgh Steelers are somewhat in disarray as far as guys who are on suspension, as far as an offensive line that might not be able to keep Ben upright, as far as Ben being an aging quarterback with some significant injuries in the recent past. I get the point that you shouldn't draft scared. Everyone in the NFL could get hurt on any play. And I'm not saying that Ben is more or less likely to get hurt than anyone else. I'm taking the total team context into consideration, and I don't find it to be a very compelling team. Also, the rest of the NFL, after three years of this guy just shredding, they have to take a Belichick approach, I believe, which is, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and bracket him. I'm going to slant my defense to his side of the field. And even with his amazing lateral agility and all of his skill, he's not going to be able to elude two and three defenders regularly. You might as well make the Steelers beat you with something else because they don't have a lot else. Lastly, on this point, there's probably a sidebar here about not knowing who the good defenses are. The NFL, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, there's so much turnover every year. We don't know who the great defenses are yet. We don't know who the soft defenses are, except for the Saints. You can book it. Book the Saints as a terrible defense. End sidebar. Back to this. The Steelers do not exactly have a friendly schedule on paper as they approach the 2016 season. 
In fact, the first five, six weeks of the year, there are some tough secondaries, some very good pass rushers that they're going to be facing. I don't see it. I don't see how Antonio Brown is going to put up another pinball season. So I'm going to walk. I'm very comfortable walking away from that, especially as I mentioned in the auction setting where you're talking about 50% of your budget potentially to get this one player. You have to hit. You must hit a home run with that. Now, in the snake draft, if you take Antonio Brown and he ends up putting up wide receiver two, wide receiver three numbers, you'll survive. You're still getting three of the top 25 players in that snake format. In an auction, when you blow your wad on a guy like that, if he doesn't connect, you are shit out of luck, son. My advice would be to tread very lightly around Antonio Brown. And when the bidding gets to 50, 55, 60, walk away, man. Just walk away. The second player I want to talk about is someone who I absolutely adore. I love Derek Henry. I can't say enough about this guy. This is a real kingmaker. Coming into any fantasy season, you're a fool if you start planning for the playoff weeks ahead of time. So let me go ahead and be a fool. I can't imagine that there will be a bigger impact player in the final few weeks of the season than Derrick Henry. By that point in time, I think it's fair to forecast that he will be the lead ball carrier, he will be the goal line back. When everybody else is scrambling to try and figure out what they're going to do at running back, if you have Derrick Henry, you're going to have a huge advantage over everyone else in the fantasy playoffs. But I don't think that's far enough out over my skis. I want to get my head all the way into a snowbank and tell you, that Derrick Henry will be more valuable in your fantasy league than Ezekiel Elliott. There will be no one from this rookie class more valuable to your fantasy team than Derrick Henry. And the fact that you can get this guy on the cheap, this is David Johnson 2015 all over again. However, somehow he's flown way under the radar. Now, if you're someone who did early drafts, you had this guy free of charge. In the My Fantasy League or MFL 10s, MFL 25s, which is a snake draft, you could name your price on this guy. He was barely being drafted in early August. Even after he started putting it on tape through the preseason, you could still get this guy in like the 10th round. In auctions, which again are my preferred format, you could get this guy for a buck, two bucks. Now that we're getting towards the end of preseason and people are starting to have a bit of an awakening, you're probably looking more like $8, $10. There's no amount that's too much to get this guy on your roster. He's going to be so valuable. As I mentioned earlier in the divisional futures, I absolutely love the Titans as a long shot to win the division. Regardless, even if they don't win the AFC South, they're going to be a decidedly improved team. And the way they're going to do it is by running the ball consistently And even while DeMarco Murray is healthy and playing an active role in the offense, Derrick Henry is still going to have every third series in all likelihood, and there's a decent chance that he's going to end up being the goal line back. Let me pause there and give DeMarco Murray the credit that he is due as just an absolutely outstanding short yardage runner. It's hard to think of anyone in the league who does it better than DeMarco, but the league didn't have Derrick Henry until just now. We'll see how the Titans end up managing that situation. I have the loftiest of expectations on what Derrick Henry will deliver on a weekly basis, even early in the season when he's only catching every third series, potentially some goal line rep. By the time the games really matter in your fantasy league, 
this is going to be a gem. If you've already drafted and you don't have him, check your waiver wire. If you've already drafted and he's on another team's roster, hope that that team gets off to a slow start and then start banging trade offers off of them. Derrick Henry is someone that you absolutely want. That was quite a podcast. And whether you agreed or disagreed, what I know is we have one thing in common, and that's excitement for the season that's about to begin. So from the bottom of my heart to everyone who listened, everyone who plays fantasy sports, everyone who gambles on the NFL, you have my utmost respect. Cheers, man. And with that, we'll see you.